Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast where we watch films that you probably should have seen by now. My name is Stephen Platt, thank you very much for downloading this episode. This week we are celebrating 25 years of The Crying Game. That's right, The Crying Game, 1992's The Crying Game. Uh, Written and directed by Neil Jordan, who is uh, also famous for creating the popular TV series The Borgias for Showtime. That's his most recent success. Uh, It's a film that stars Forrest Whitaker, Miranda Richardson, Stephen Rear, and Jay Davidson. And it's going to be really fun to have a look at this film. Uh, Joining us as our people who have and haven't seen the film, uh, two guests. Uh, Our guest who has seen the film, returning for the first time since the Wallace and Gromit episode, it is... Mr. John King. Welcome back, John. Thank you, Stephen. It's good to be back. And just a reminder for the folks at home, uh, what do you do between podcasts? Between podcasts? Mm. Um, I am a general dog's body here at uh, Nexus Theatre, a jack-of-all-trades and master of none. Mm. And yes, uh, we are recording today's episode, as John alluded to, inside the Nexus Theatre. Ooh. So yes, if it sounds slightly more grand and... uh, verbose and Shakespearean, that's why. Uh, and joining us as our person who hasn't seen the film, uh, making her first appearance for a few episodes as well, it's Miss Ellen Sears. Welcome back, Ellen. Thanks for having me. Uh, can we get a PhD update? Uh, lots of writing, lots of typing. That's pretty much it. Good. And who's winning in the PhD race between you and Sarah Curtis? Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> She's a lot further along than I am, but that's, you know, I had a bit of time off recently, that's why. Okie dokie. So, The Crying Game, Uh, a one-sentence synopsis. A British soldier is kidnapped by IRA terrorists, befriends one of his captors, and is then drawn into the soldier's world. Uh, Ellen, what do you know about The Crying Game? Nothing. Absolutely (laughs) nothing. Apart from what you've literally just said just now. Okay. I I don't know anything about this film. I have no idea what it's about. It came out in 92, so I was four. Okay. So, like, I have no concepts yeah of and this film at all. it would have been irresponsible for your parents to take you to that because this is an <laughs> r-rated film so. oh, okay good yes uh john you did see the crying game uh when it came out i understand i did, I did. and uh in a, in a vague non-spoilery kind of way um what were your impressions of uh seeing the crying game um i saw it in in sydney in 92 uh i think it was its opening weekend um to a packed house um I, I loved the film. It was the first time I laid eyes on Forrest Whitaker as a perf- as an actor. Um, so um, yeah, I think it was uh, an excellent film um, with a twist. Yes, well, all the good films do have a twist, so <laughs> we'll say no more about that. But uh, yes, it should be uh, very interesting uh, to have a look at this. So shall we jump into it? Let's sure, it. why not? All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, grab your uh, well DVDs in this case, uh, put them in, and prepare to join us as we watch 
the crying game. Welcome back everyone, we have just finished watching The Crying Game and uh, we hope you have too. Uh, my name is Stephen and I'm joined again by Mr John King. No, hello again. And Miss Ellen Sears. Hello again. Okay guys, what did you think of The Crying Game? Not what I was expecting at all and I mean I had no context at all apart from that one sentence kind of synopsis that you gave me. Mm. So I had no idea what I was in for, and I was not expecting most of what just happened. Okay, we should probably talk about the twist first, because that's the thing everyone knows about the crying game. Mm. Um, he was actually he was, actu- <laughs> he was actually Irish. <laughs> oh my god! I never would have guessed. Scottish, well, everyone thinks he's amazing. Scottish. Woo! Um, but no, the the, the obvious such different accents. Like, come on, guys. Mm. Yeah, um, with 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 the twist, mm. uh, with the re- revelation that uh, Dill is not a uh, female, that she is in fact transgender, mm. um, or possibly intersex, or, or intersex, something, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously this is uh, nineteen ninety two, so a lot 92. of the language was basically male, female, and then a third bracket of miscellaneous. Yep. There was there was no real yeah. discrepancy. Um, but I yeah, it's, I think it's interesting. You could put this film on today, and it would be very relevant. Yeah, well, you could remake this film today and have it still set in '92 and have it be very relevant. Still, mm. like it's yeah, I was watching it going, "Yep, that's still happening." And yep. particularly because she's, um, because Dill is a, I mean, if we're going by the the notion that she's a, a trans lady, mm. she's a trans lady of color who's being blackmailed and bullied and beaten up by people. That's a massive thing even now. Like, mm statistically yeah i was just like oh my god yeah yeah and i, I think it's interesting because obviously the, the film starts and you think it's a you think it's one thing you, you and think, then it turns yeah. around and goes no also this stuff which just totally complicates everything yeah the, the film starts and you think it's going to be a uh, a hostage film it's going to be about yeah. forest whitaker in a greenhouse for 90 minutes is, is what you're and thinking and then it's not and then it's not about 20 minutes in there's a change and then all of a sudden the main focus uh, the focal point of the film it isn't um, Forrest Whitaker's character Jody, although he remains very relevant throughout the film yeah. it's Fergus um, mm. who was played by uh, Stephen Ree uh, it's almost like a they sort of pass the baton from character to character really like it's yeah yeah interesting and yeah it was it was interesting um, but yeah that that, that reveal did you clue in at any point prior to the reveal that Dill was not a um, a female biologically? No, I didn't. No. But I don't go looking for things like that when I watch films. I'm one of those annoying people where I just sit there and go, oh, a surprise, and then get to you know enjoy it mm. as it unfolds. I don't try to analyse things as I go. Now, John, uh, you saw this in the cinemas when it was released. I did. Um, how was it being in the cinema when when this twist happened? Because it is yep. a very well known twist yes. of of um, uh, uh, that was a big shock at the yes. time. Yes, yes, and um, and back then as well, um, lack of social media as well. Mm. No spoilers mm. unless oh. someone had actually seen it and you'd spoken to them and then they'd say it. But because it was uh, the opening week, it was still very very fresh. No one knew what was going on. No mm. one knew about the twist. So I do remember. Um, as a cinematic experience, when the reveal happens, the audible gasp mm. from the audience and wow. quite a large audience as well. Mm. And um, and for myself back then as well, I was still carrying prejudices. I mean, I was 20 years old. Mm. Uh, I'd come from a small country town, so I still 
had a very conservative view of sexuality. Mm. Um, so I was shocked myself mm. and mm. made me confused <laughs> and made me question things. Well, um, that's no good. We'll have yeah, to so, um, <laughs> watch this again. Uh, personally, a very um, interesting experience mm. watching that movie and then question my own understandings and, mm. and beliefs and feelings about certain things. Mm. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> and I think it's interesting that um, the the writer and director, Neil Jordan, um, chose to use a, a member of the IRA as his main yeah. character to have a look at. Now, mm. um, some background on this. He actually wrote the screenplay for this film in the middle of the 80s, which is obviously right in the middle of the Troubles. Yes, um, of course. And struggled to get it financed and made um, and then when he oh, was yeah. doing the rounds to try and get it made in the early 90s it was originally called the soldier's wife, the soldier's wife yeah, yeah. Uh, and he uh, neil jordan was friends with uh, stanley kubrick mm. and stanley kubrick said you should change the title because everyone's going to be expecting a war movie um, right yeah and so the title was then changed to the crying game the film starts and we have a very long tracking shot of that was the longest panning yeah, shot in the world of oh the worst God. carnival in the world, the worst <laughs> carnival in the world. Uh, and being um it doesn't really give you, you know, much of an idea about what the rest of the film is going to be like it's like have this massively super drawn out huge mm -hmm. panning shot yeah and but the thing that was very pleasing was it was a two minute pan but the editor's yeah. name comes up in the credits and the editor is called can't pan yeah. was his name. <laughs> and i missed it i wasn't looking yeah I'm and throughout so this film it's very obvious that panning is a big thing that they like and it's really well used i yeah. think like it's, it's actually cool. the way it was shot was really interesting one of my favorite shots was the bit where they were you had the, the shot and then it just slowly tilted onto the diagonal yeah Ah, oh, that was so great. And yeah, it was just it was so subtle. And I was like, ooh, yes, interesting. And unusual for 92. Yeah, and there was a lot of really great subtle things being used. I really liked the use of uh, sheets and fabric where yeah. characters would walk behind them. So between the character and the camera, there would be some sort of film of something. It felt kind of like an indie movie. Yeah, like well, it I mean, it, like, yeah. it was essentially. It's a British yeah, indie film. Yeah, when I saw yeah. it, it was in the alternate cinemas. It wasn't in the mainstream cinemas. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it feels like an indie film. And as well, even there was a couple of bits. Sometimes movies from like the late 80s, early 90s have that kind of foggy, almost dreamlike quality to some of the shots. And I don't know if it's a, uh, partially the lighting um, as well as the quality of the film and all that kind of thing. But like that very, very last big um, crane shot where they're pulling away. Mm. That had that really foggy, dreamy, like late eighties, early nineties sort yeah, of. The, the sort of haze that's present. In yeah, yeah, yeah. The quality of our projector and the scrim as well probably adds to that a little <laughs> bit. Probably adds to it a little <laughs> bit. To reduce yeah. some of the clarity of the picture. Yeah. Yeah. So we have uh, this this opening shot, and then we go to this uh, this carnival in Belfast. And being from uh, being half Northern Irish myself, uh, I can testify a carnival in Belfast is about as crap as it looks. But we have this carnival in Belfast. Uh, we see Forrest Whitaker's character, Jodie, uh, and he's just met up with a young lady named uh, Jude, uh, who's played by uh, Miranda Richardson. She was great. Yeah, and that's just it. I just really want to focus on those two, because obviously Forrest Whitaker, we, we already know now, is a fantastic actor, but mm. Mm. I genuinely forgot he wasn't English after about five minutes. Exactly. He it took me a yes. little bit. For, for, for like the first little bit, I was like, it just... The sound was really weird. I think mm. they must have done ADR for the first scene because it was so windy or something because yeah. it didn't It's Belfast, it would be, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But like, it was really bizarre. A, because he was talking in a British accent and I was like, oh, this is weird. There's like mm. a weird disconnect happening here. But also like, 
yeah, there was sort of a bit of it. I, yeah. I was having a bit of like an uncanny valley type thing where <laughs> it wasn't quite hundred percent matching up. Yeah. His use of like language in the accent, though, it was completely convincing. Yeah, like, it was. He, he, and you know, he his character was identified as coming from North London, specifically from the Tottenham area, yep. and he mm. nailed it. As yep. it, as it, as it went on, it really started. I think it was just that first scene, the mm. the sound quality was just yeah, the sound weird. quality at the start was, it was weird. very iffy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but then for the rest of the, the show well, was fine. Yeah, but got that, much that was better. the first time I'd ever seen Forrest Whitaker. So mm. Mm. when I did see him with an American accent, I thought that was weird. Right. Okay. Because I as he said, mm. that's a funny thing, that isn't accent. it? It yeah. was it was flawless as far as I was concerned. Yeah, it's like people who see Hugh Laurie speaking in his normal language. Yeah. I was <laughs> I was I was literally just thinking that because I remember I hadn't really watched a lot of his stuff and I had seen a few things of him um, on house and then saw him accepting an award and went, oh, he's British, because I hadn't seen a lot of, like, Brian Lawyer, Laurie or anything like that. Mm. So I was like, oh, oh, okay, mm. right. And likewise, Miranda Richardson, we, we, we already know Miranda Richardson is a wonderful actress, okay. um, but we see, obviously, uh, her crop up a couple of times in this film, and mm. she's just great. She yeah. really... Her hair at the end reminded me of Claire What's-Her-Face from... Um, Jurassic World, like it's the exact yes. same oh, color um, and haircut. Yeah, the um, oh, yeah, I've forgotten her name as well, but yeah, yeah, by, uh, the, da- the, Dallas Buyers Club, no, uh, Dallas Bryce Howard, Dallas Bryce Howard, her character Claire, <laughs> yeah. in, yes. it was the same haircut, like it was, yeah, just updated for the new millennium, like, <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, and it's it's the, it's basically uh, Forrest is playing a character called Jody, who is a British uh, soldier who is then uh, kidnapped, led away by Jude and kidnapped by the IRA because they, this is obviously something the IRA used to do. Um, they yeah. would kidnap British uh, soldiers and try and use them in exchange for their own political prisoners. Uh, mm. So that's the setup and that is how um, the character of Fergus, played by Stephen Ree, is uh, introduced to Jodie and spends an extended period of time and also has... I guess almost like a reverse Stockholm syndrome where yeah. he becomes really attached to his captive. Um, and it was it was really nice. I really liked the way that they spoke. And I think that was obviously a big, yeah. a big intent was showing that if it wasn't for the fact that one was holding the other captive, they'd probably have gotten along really well. It's the same thing that you get from like all the accounts of World War One, where at Christmas all the Germans came over and shared their schnapps and like mm. they were all singing Christmas carols with each other and stuff. And it was like, you know, you're exactly... Uh, what was the thing from All Quiet on the Western Front? You're exactly the same as me. Like we could be brothers in another thing. Like mm. we're all the same. Yeah. And they connect through discussions of uh, sport. Um, yeah. Yeah. Unusually, not going for Tottenham or Arsenal, he chooses instead. Uh, Jody's character is really into cricket, yeah. Um, and uh, they, they have the comparisons between cricket and hurling, yeah. um, and that gets fed back into uh, later on when there is obviously the the execution has to take place yeah. because obviously the the exchange doesn't go well because it rarely did. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, the neither side was backing down, so it was like, okay, Fergus, you have to um, you have to kill. Jody, um, he gets instructed by Peter, the IRA leader, to or the leader of that particular cell, that he has to go and shoot him in the woods. And I thought it was really interesting how all their sort of previous conversations about that, about the scorpion and the frog, all get fed into this high-octane escape-slash-execution yeah. scene. Mm. Um, the I, way, thought, I thought for yeah. a minute he might escape, and then it was like, nope, tank, boom, like gone. And then he, yeah, he, he, he kind of glanced off one, and I was like, oh, no. And then mm. it was... Yeah, gone. And that was that was that was really surprising because coming into this film, I hadn't seen the crying game, but yeah. I was aware of the the later twist mm. uh, yep. involving Dill. That one took me by surprise, though, yeah. when it was like he's running and boom, boom, gets yeah. hit by two trucks, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, well, that was unfortunate. Uh, you know, it was, um, 
and then yeah very quickly we have about 30 seconds of explosions and everything going uh very very badly for the ira characters and that means that uh that um fergus has to escape so mm. he goes and sees father ted they yep. have a quick conversation <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and then suddenly he's working as a uh, as a builder in london uh but during those conversations with jody he learns about dill mm-hmm. um and jody is obviously deeply in love with dill mm. um and specifically requests that fergus go and, and seek her out to you know take her out for a drink at the metro and, and say that he was thinking of her yeah and say he was thinking mm. of her and fergus That's ends quite up sweet. doing this and i think i think it's really interesting that we have um this character who is in you know a, a terrorist organization in the ira um who is being portrayed not only as our lead character but in almost a sympathetic light in some respects he's the romantic lead well, yeah really? but, but he's not very romantic I no mean, he's not he, he's a northern irishman they're just not romantic at all yeah. but he's um i hope none of your relatives are listening <laughs> oh, no they'll be listening and nodding along going, right yeah no he's, he's right there yeah. Jonas, Jonas, he's right there yeah not se- romantic at all. I like the separation from uh, the opening scene, the hostage scene, which is almost like a standalone piece by itself. Yeah. Mm. I thought it was the simple honesty of that hostage situation and the mm. bonding mm. and not, they didn't delve too much into the politics. Generally at that time, everyone was fully aware of the politics yeah. anyway. Yeah. I but, guess um, forget, that was just like uh, background mm. to the, to that the relationship. bonding and relationship between yeah. the captor and that. And then... You go to England. Yeah. And then you start almost another story. And the rest of the story does feel as though it is a a, a, a story of uh, repenting for yep. Fergus. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Because Fergus, obviously, ultimately, the film ends with him in prison, having taken the rap for killing um, Jude, yep. w- which he didn't actually do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it did feel like it was a big story of, of essentially him atoning for his his sins in this this previous vestige yeah. um mm. it, uh, but at the same time it, it's interesting because he, uh, there are parts in this film where the character of fergus is is repentant and he's trying to do the right thing but at the same time he did he didn't seem too fussed about having to kill the judge like he knew it was probably going to get him killed yeah but he didn't have any particular qualms about going oh well i have to shoot this judge you know it was kind of he, he knew he was in a kind of a no choice situation but he wasn't exactly bemoaning the fact that some old judge had to get killed yeah it, and he'd was... been in the ira long enough and knew the way they operated enough to know that if he didn't do it yeah nothing good was going to come from that and mm. pretty uh, much being protective of, of, of dill as well so mm. yeah yeah and it was it was really interesting to see that as well um and then obviously he meets Dill at the hairdressers uh, mm. where she works, gets a haircut and then follows her to the Metro where um, we have uh, a young Jim Broadbent oh, man. behind the bar. <laughs> he was one of my favorite things of the whole film. Mm. Jim Broadbent doing what Jim Broadbent tends to do in most things, which is going, oh, it's Jim Broadbent. I feel safe here. Yes. Essentially. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, he was he was really great. Uh, and, you know, I it, love the little back and forwards. Tell him this. Well, you tell him this. And everything was going back and forth between Colm and yeah. the other two characters. That yeah. was beautiful. No, they were beautiful moments. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it felt. God, he's great. It felt quite authentic. Yeah, it did. Yes. Like uh, going through the way that was going and like the fact that Dill and Cole, um, Jim Broadbent's character, have this 
good friendship where they'll mm. play off each other like that the whole uh, the whole film was a bit like that i really th- felt that the dialogue was really strong and really naturalistic mm. like there wasn't a point where i was mm. like oh people wouldn't talk like that you know sometimes you watch movies and you're like wow real people don't talk like that this yeah. was like it was like watching real people running around doing yeah. real people yeah. things and the only character i felt was not quite like that was the um mr devroe the guy that ran the building site but at the same time there are people like that. Yeah, there you know, are. Tony Slattery's character just talking down all the time going, what's this Paddy think he's doing? Yeah, yeah kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, he felt slightly caricatured, but at the same time, he, he was really just a a very minor distraction. Yep. More or less, um, yeah. But, but yeah, a slight caricature. Kind of like Dave. Dave, yeah. was, Dave was kind of like a minor distraction. But Dave also felt quite real at the same time. Yep. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Dave yeah. in his fabulous tracksuit yeah, well, with very- the matching <laughs> knee patches on yeah. the... Oh, Extremely. that was that was something that I was enjoying a lot in this was that kind of like late eighties coming into the early nineties like mm. fashion because the eighties hold is still so strong yeah. on the fashion at this point. People still using cassettes. Um, yeah. the, yeah. the haircuts. The, the hair. When they're in the going in the pub when it's quite busy and you see all the people in the background just dressed as as they would be in the nineties. Speaking of the pub, I have never ever ever seen a pub audience so attentive to somebody who was singing. Ever in oh, my entire life. It, they're in London. London people in London are very attentive. No, they're not. I've been to London. <laughs> oh my god. A yeah. pub in London. I mean, you know, I didn't mm. go to a pub in London in ninety two, so I wouldn't be able to, you know, but mm. I've never ever seen anybody in a pub watching like somebody singing or like a band in a pub and mm. actually paying attention ever. Maybe it's because Jim Broadbent's there, he just has like a, a he attracts the nicest people that yeah. are all Maybe. behaving. <laughs> He's just like just, a magnet for nice people. Yeah. No, you were right, though. It was a very well-behaved pub. It was a very well-behaved pub, yeah. especially for a pub in England. Mm. Like, it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was very focused on the performance. And, like, dancing along and yeah. stuff and not talking over the top of it. Yeah, it was beautiful. Mm. Um, so, we see Fergus, or as he's now calling himself, Jimmy. Um, of course he calls himself Jimmy. And yeah. no, one, no wonder she thinks he's Scottish yeah. with a name like Jimmy. Yeah, so Jimmy, like, uh, Jimmy in air quotes and uh, Dill <laughs> start to form this relationship. Um, and, you know, it's, it starts off with him essentially protecting her from the attentions of Dave. There's the absolutely hilarious murdering the goldfish bit where she's throwing herself oh my out God. and just throws the fish out and he shouts, murderer! That's so good. <laughs> um, and that was just it. There's lots of really, like, nice tiny quirky bits of humor in the middle of this romance story um and dill's so deadpan all the time just so deadpan yeah and at the same time jimmy is very much just very he's very deadpan and it's sort of yeah it's interesting it's interesting having two really deadpan people like Mm. playing off each other because it's very they're very like both of them really straight shooters Mm. and it's really curious seeing um seeing how he was trying to approach the subject of uh Jody to Dill because obviously he didn't want to go. Hey, I held you. You love a captive, and ended up being there when he died. Uh, you know, he was he was very much trying mm. to soften the blow. Yeah, almost as almost as though he was trying to learn about Jody through Dill, so it didn't come across as like he'd accidentally say something wrong or something like that. Um, mm. But Jody remained a very present character whenever they were inside Dill's flat. Yep, there's lots of photographs of so him. Many there's the obviously the clothes the that, that Dill ends up wearing the later shrine. on uh, the shrine, and it was really interesting that and, and the dreams that was the other thing the dreams that yeah. um, the that soft Fergus focus. was having yeah the soft focus the soft hazy focus bowling yeah, yeah. and the I, I Forest Whitaker bowling yeah. 
looking like someone that has never bowled a cricket ball in their life. I yeah, thought, I thought it, he looked okay. No, <laughs> I was, I was. Looking, I know that, and I can't. Yeah. I don't sport, and even I was looking at it going. Mm. Well, I, I was looking at it going. Well, look, I've seen worse. I've bowled worse myself. Um, <laughs> but he's meant to be a really good bowler. Yeah. Like he says that to him at the beginning of the film. But he's he like, I'm just, a really he, good bowler. He's probably just talking himself up. You know, he wants. He doesn't want to... He's probably just yeah, He's crap. showing off in front of the IRA, basically, <laughs> going, you know, you're going to kill a shit yeah. old bowler. You might be going to die. Why would you say, oh, I'm a bit of an average bowler? Yeah. No. no you'd I'm say, a great you'd, bowler. Yeah, I'm going to play for England. Yeah, I mean, say you're Shane I'm gonna, I don't know. That that's not going to help. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really liked those the use of that. And then particularly, like, after... It is revealed that um, Dill is transgender, yeah. and then he appears in the dream, and he's literally just kind of like throwing the ball up and down and catching it, and almost laughing, going, "Ah, got you!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, there is yeah. that little sting moment, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. that was pretty good. But it was really nice that, that the character of Jody, who was a very a, a character I felt a lot of sympathy for, and really it just seemed like a nice guy in a bad situation. Um, it, it was nice that he remained present despite being dead, and the fact that um, the the characters of Dill and at the end um, when he's in the flat, uh, Fergus actually talks to him as well, uh, mm. talking to the photographs mm. uh, when he's waiting for the police to come. Mm. And I just thought it was a really nice way of keep. That was a really well written, strong character who remained present despite being dead for more yep. than two thirds of the. Well, film. it was the whole thing was is that they were mourning, yeah, for him because yeah. arguably it wasn't just Dill mourning because you know Dill says you know. I, I, it, was, it was that are you in mourning hmm. aren't you supposed to be in mourning I am in mourning and I think to an extent probably Fergus is as well yeah really because he, he feels bad yeah he, what made, happened. he made this connection made connection yeah. yeah yeah and so he's yeah he's trying to rebuild his life and then Jude turns up um, mm. dressed a little bit like Edna Mole or <laughs> or whoever else uh, Claire from Claire Jurassic from World Jurassic World just with the very severe like Russian henchman haircut very henchman yeah, yeah, very yeah. Russian henchman. yeah. and going um, ah great you're here so uh, we need you to shoot someone or we're going to shoot you uh, and I just thought that was a really great way of um, arcing up the, the story and progressing yeah. things yeah. because now it almost appears it appears to Dill that uh, Jimmy has another uh, woman on the side. Yeah. And this is something that I think she's definitely experienced in her life with some of her former partners oh, is yeah. women coming along and, and stealing her partners because they have boobs and things like that. Like when she actually uh, shoots Jill at the end, she, yeah. she knows yeah. that she was the one that got um, Jody because... Yep. And why. Yeah, and she knew what Jody liked. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was a really interesting... Uh, aspect of, you know, uh, as as a someone who is a you know straight white male, I, I don't often uh, have to consider things from a transgender perspective, mm-hmm. and it was really great to have that perspective on the big screen, where mm. you know you see the frust- one one of the many frustrations that come with with being uh, transgender in that social situation. I felt really terrible for her as well in the bit where um, she goes to after after she's. Um, revealed herself after mm. the big twist sort of thing and she gets hit and then basically after the fact like the next day basically says this is this wasn't your fault i understand why you did it mm. and it's my fault because i never actually said to you i shouldn't have assumed mm. and i was like yeah i don't know that you should be apologizing mm. but it's 92 and it's yeah, yeah i think they were alluding to that that bar was yeah. generally known by the locals as yeah as a place where transgender mm. people yeah, would absolutely. go. Yeah, like, so like when, when she sort of yeah, didn't know, like, she yeah. was actually 
shocked about it. And there was yeah. the fact that, um, you know, when um, Fergus comes into the bar afterwards and there's a lot of characters in the bar yes. who suddenly look extremely... Uh, gender fluid yes, <laughs> you yes. Know, there's, yeah. and it's like how did I not see this before it's like yeah. well you weren't looking and right, the, you know obviously. there were some illusions as well like mm. even uh, Cole the bartender had previously said you know oh there's something you should know and then he gets interrupted and he says oh, she's on stage right yeah. now it's almost like oh uh, no I won't say anything <laughs> um, yeah and it, I just thought it was really interesting and uh, I was really interested in this portrayal of a lead character who is um is transgender and is portrayed very well just portrayed as a human being um you know yes. they, 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 they're a very strong uh character with lots of admirable traits but at the same time she has a, a uh, some sort of prescription pill dependency or at least um mm. uses them a lot mm. uh she's she, saying she's she sort of um gets anxious yeah so mm. maybe she's got some form of anxiety or depression or yeah but she you know she like also um, she's also got massive issues with um relationships obviously because yeah. she's terrified that everybody's going to leave her yeah and i i just i really felt as as though the character of dill is is like it Dill reminded me of people I've met, not in terms of people who are uh transgender or whatever, just in terms of like she seemed like a real human being, yeah you know the things with all their foibles and yeah, and the thing is is a lot of the characters in this film really felt like that, and yeah. I really feel like it's superbly written and mm, extremely well acted won uh, an Oscar for screenplay did it uh I will double check that I believe, but I'm not. Um, Positive, but <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I know that um, I, I I do know that uh, Jay Davidson, who played Dill, was nominated was for an nominated Academy Award for for that, yeah. for that role, and this was her first film. Yeah. Um, and obviously that was one of the issues that a lot of the production companies had when Neil Jordan was trying to get this made was going, well, where are you going to find a, a transgender actress uh, to play the part? Um, but obviously they 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 found um, Jay, and she was was excellent. Mm. Discovered in a bar, I believe. Uh, yes. Well, that's the, it tends to be the way most actors get work. Is, <laughs> <laughs> is they're in a bar. Um, but yeah, and um, Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. Yeah, ninety-three. There we go. Uh, thank you, uh, Google. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so we have. Um, so so obviously we now have this this threat, and Fergus can't tell. Um, or feels like he can't tell Dill, I work for the IRA and I have to go kill someone, but also you have to go into hiding. And he can't say any of this because he knows that they'll they'll get her one way or another. I love how she know, just... Yeah, the mm. less you know, the better. Yeah. And I love how she just kind of screws everything up because she wakes up and she's like, I thought you left me. And he's mm. like, no, I told you to stay in the hotel. She's like, well, I'm drunk, so I'm going back home. And it's like, no, <laughs> you're going to ruin everything. Yeah, and it's, it, that, that that is how... You would respond absolutely, yeah. And I really like the idea of um, him trying to use her her transgender nature to disguise her, it, try and make her more, look more male. And after he's they they've cut the hair off in the barber shop, and she says that she doesn't recognise herself, and he's like, exactly that that's, kind of that's thing. That's what we want. But the thing is, is he doesn't explain why. Yeah. So no wonder she's like, yeah, and she what is happening? And she misconstrues it as him being like, oh, you're, you you're you only like me now because of my male characteristics. Mm. And 
you know, and you know, it would be very unsettling to be told now wear your former lover's clothes and we're going to go to a hotel. You know, that that yeah. that was. Let's yeah. make you look discreet by dressing you in cricket whites and walking yeah. you through the streets. John, I don't know if you've been to London, but everyone wears cricket. <laughs> do, whites. Oh, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Morning, Governor. Morning. Oh, Off to Lords. Of course I am. Way. Um, yeah, but yeah, it wasn't particularly discreet. But <laughs> but I think that's all that was left of Jodie's in, yeah, in her apartment. Yeah, there was that, that, yeah. that visual sort of um, representation. Yeah. yeah, and then of course we have uh, the hit, which um, w- uh, Fergus doesn't turn up for because he's tied to the Dill's bed. bed because Dill um, woke up and wo- remembered woke up and remembered the confession he mm-hmm. made. Um, essentially, going. I, I kind of killed Jody. I mean, I didn't, but I kind of did. And mm. so she ties him to the bed and is like, right, you're going to explain to me everything that happens. And because he's quite literally tied up, he can't get to the hit. Uh, Peter ends up performing the hit himself and getting killed in the process, which would have almost certainly happened to um, Fergus had he been yep. there to do the hit. Mm. And that leaves Jude just furious. <laughs> you know, it's the second time he's failed. He's, he's messed up for them. And so mm. she goes to the apartment and obviously was taken by surprise by the fact that Dill had a gun and uh, she gets shot three or four times. More than that. Quite, quite violently. She gets shot a lot. It, as an audience member, though, for me, it was quite satisfying seeing it was Dill that killed Jude. Yeah. Yep. Because it was Jude that trapped uh, yep. Jodie. And yep. mm. yeah, Jude is very much an unsympathetic character throughout this film. Mm. Um, and whereas everyone else has various shades of grey within them. Um, and it was quite, it was satisfying, I guess. It was satisfying to see her get a comeuppance for mm. um, her part in Jodie's downfall. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, uh, Fergus takes the takes the heat, takes the rap for the shooting, gets um, Dill to run away. And then we have that lovely scene crane in the prison. Crane shot. Yeah, <laughs> at the end. That long yep. sustained crane shot to mirror the one at the beginning. Yep. And yeah. I like the fact that they... They didn't have him just sitting at a desk, but they did, as they would have treated the IRA, very much in isolation, so behind yeah. the glass screen. Yeah. A- except the general population would have had normal visiting rights, mm. but he is behind a glass panel with a guard right next to him and yeah. she has to sit the other side. I love yeah. that Dill is counting the days. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot about the leap here. Yeah. It just <laughs> it's a genuinely funny line. It yeah. was genuinely Absolutely funny. I'm like, brilliant. that's so, yeah. And I like it ends with him telling... Uh, it ends with Fergus telling Dill Jodie's story of the frog and the scorpion. Yeah, and he even in... does like the silly voice yeah. of the of the frog, but has to like make up his own voice. Yeah, um, that was really quite cute. And yeah, it was it was really it, the, the just end, quite the, lovely. The ending kind of smacked of a Coen Brothers film. Like, oh yeah, it was that same kind of like. Oh, okay, that's the end. All right, mm. yeah, like it was. Yeah, well, you, I mean, at, every, at, every, at no yeah. point did I know how it was going to end. Yeah. And really, it, and the use of "Stand by Your Man" as the the closing track was just wonderful for yeah. so many for about six reasons, <laughs> yeah. essentially. Um, so well, as well, if you're looking at, they bookended the movie with because the opening song was not Perry Como, Percy Sledge was yeah, Percy Sledge, yeah, Percy Sledge when a man loves a woman. Mm. So they've deliberately bookended the film with these two songs, mm. like obviously very deliberately. Yeah, and yeah. So, Ellen. Yeah. This was your first time watching? Yeah. Did you enjoy The Crying Game? Yeah, I did. I mean, I had no idea what I was coming in to watch, but yeah, this is I can see how it would have been m- like a massive massive thing in its time and even now it's still 
it's still very current. Like mm. stuff that was going on in this. I was like, I mean, you know, we don't really have the IRA as an issue anymore, but we've got lots of other things in here that we can translate into. Yeah, and it, it does feel as though you could m- manoeuvre the, the political set piece that sets up the beginning yeah. to be anything, really. Mm. And it would still be a well-told story, Yeah, um, which was good. It, it still works as in, in sort of seeing it mm. now. And John, uh, this was your first time watching it since you saw since it in the cinema. Since 92. So yeah. h- how does it stand up uh, all these many years later? Um, well, I had a conversation with our good friend Tim Brain about mm-hmm. it, and we had the conversation, would it still be relevant? Would people still be shocked by it uh, in today's yeah. atmosphere where there's a lot more conversation about it? And I believe it is. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, watching it again, mm. uh, having such a, a big gap as well. Mm. And, you know, you watch an old film that you used to love and it, you find it a bit dated when you watch it again. And this just wasn't. It no. was still, as uh, Ellen was saying, it's still relevant. It's still an important film. Um, I even found myself um, thinking deeply about relationships and gender. And, I mean, um, you look at Dill at the start. And I remember when I first watched it, wow, she's mm. gorgeous. She and then gorgeous. being shocked and, and, I'll admit it, a little repulsed mm. when seeing that it was a man. Mm. And now having so many years passed and, uh, and my mindset is completely different and changed, looking back then and going, how would I react now? Mm. Uh, falling in love with someone like that, then having a reveal like that, how would I react? Yeah. I'd always considered that I would react, oh, I do like you, but no, because of that. Mm. But now I have myself questioning, what would I do? Well, yeah. I, I, I don't do know. know. And, I yeah. think it's, and I think that's a really great thing they do with, with Stephen Rees' performance as Fergus. Um, that he spends much of the rest of the film sort of going, don't call me honey, don't yep. call me darling. Yep. But at the same time, protecting Dill yep. the and whole still, time. You can see the conflict. A, yeah. a, a beautiful performance. You can see the conflict that he is in love with Dill, mm. still fighting with those old mentalities yeah. of, no, there's a man and a woman. And mm. and yeah, he's conflicted. Yeah. And his, his character yeah. would presumably have had a very Catholic upbringing. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> right. So probably and, you know, super the, repressed. And yeah. I mean, as well, even like I was looking at like the opening stuff with with um, Jody and with Fergus and kind of looking at that relationship and that kind of easiness, whatever else. And if you look at that sort of from the frame of knowing towards the end of the film, as you do, that Jody was with... Um, I've lost the name entirely. My brain Dill. just gone. <laughs> Dill, thank you. Yeah. Then it takes on as kind of a different colouring again. Like this is something that I think would be a really interesting to film film to look at from like a queer studies kind of lens mm. and look at that relationship at the beginning and then the relationship between Fergus and Dill and kind of, yeah. Mm. Oh, I, really that, interesting. It is. It's really it's well done. Very thought-provoking, very well done. Um and very enjoyable. Mm. I have some uh, IMDb trivia troll. Oh, trivia troll, snippings. yay. <laughs> um, so one of the things I found, which is actually quite funny, um, a few weeks into filming, Jay Davidson, who who played Dill, mm. uh, got ill. She had the flu. So a doctor was called to the set to take a look at, um, take a look at him. Um, after the doctor had examined him, he spoke to the director and asked... Um, have you considered the possibility that she might be pregnant? 
because of her symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> and so Neil and the crew obviously began to laugh because the doctor was unaware. Yep. Oh, that, dear. Yeah, and yep. they, they had to explain to the doctor, uh, no, <laughs> uh, I'm afraid AJ can't be pregnant. And after they explained, the doctor felt very foolish. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, just didn't ask the question. Yeah. Yep. yeah. But as well, if you're thinking about when this movie was made and when it was released and mm. whatever else, like how close it is to the AIDS crisis and still... yeah going and yeah like yeah there would there was certainly the, the uh, stigma that abs- was around absolutely yep. and yep. like the mm. the information just wasn't as good mm. just, uh dill yeah. was indeed cast uh through a connection at a party mm. um the the casting of dill was seen as very difficult but then uh, the casting director susie figgis uh received a tip-off from derek jarman about jay davidson davidson was later uh, discovered in quotation marks at a rap party for uh, Derek Jarman's Edward II film, which was released the year before, mm. um, and was offered the opportunity to try out for the role of Dill. Uh, Davidson thought, um, Davidson, sorry, was very drunk and not particularly enthusiastic about it because they thought it was just a joke. You know, it's like nobody's writing films about that. Mm. But eventually uh, took the role in order to, to pay for um, a pair of handmade leather riding boots that, that okay. <laughs> he'd seen <laughs> for Vogue magazine. So he was like, I want those boots. Yes, I'll do I this want those job. boots and ends up getting nominated for an Oscar. Nice. Yeah. So there you go. And obviously the film was turned down by basically every studio because they thought the twist would yep. turn off viewers. Yep. Um, and of course, it became kind of like a sleeper hit when Miramax eventually mm. a- accepted the film. They had initially rejected the film when they decided... And then they went, oh no. Well, when they saw it, they went, no, this is a good film. And yeah. they, they said, we, we are going to push it for Academy Awards. That, that was the way they marketed the film as being mm. one that was for your consideration. Yep. And that was very successful. And mm-hmm. um, I think watching that film, it's a it's a fabulously well made, entertaining film. It is yes, a really and nice. I I think the thing that I enjoyed most about it was, aside from the twist itself, I didn't really know much about the crying game coming into it, and it is so much more than a a twist halfway through the film. Yes, definitely. yes, um, absolutely. I, I would almost say, whilst that twist is hugely significant, I would say it's one of like three or four really well put together moments of surprise mm. in this film so uh it's like let's unwrapping a present and finding like lots more little boxes inside to unwrap and exactly it's like, oh, yeah so much more and occasionally one of the boxes challenges you and makes you think about everything that you know but that's good that's that's a good present <laughs> in a good way yes uh so ellen mm-hmm. scoring the film what score out of 10 would you give the crying game i'd probably give it an eight or a nine mm. yeah cool eight or a nine yeah eight and probably. a half maybe Sure, let's go for eight and a half. Okay. Uh, John, what would you give it? I'd say the same, eight and a half, yeah. Um, I'm glad I've revisited it. It's mm. um, been, been a very enjoyable experience to, to have a look at the crying game again. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it. I would probably give it... I, I would probably give it nine um, badly bold... Cricket balls by Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> <laughs> out, out of ten, of 10. <laughs> it was it was really, really enjoyable. Mm. Um, and there's not much that I would say you would want to change about that film. No. Argu- no. Arguably, nothing really. No. Um, maybe you'd have slightly, maybe slightly better uh, shots if you had uh, more of a budget. And obviously, yep. this film had tr- 
trouble getting a budget. Mm. I believe its its overall budget was only about two million US dollars in, in the end. In, ni- in ninety two, yeah, yeah. Wow. But it ended up making uh, sixty two and a half million. Yeah, so did well. so, that's a good profit. Yeah, they so, did well. Oh, yeah, they did very well. Um, so, Ellen and John, thank you very much for watching the Crying Game with me. Thank you thank for you having f- us. Yeah, thank you for having us. That was. Very good, very thought-provoking. All right, and uh, that's it for us here this week. A reminder that you can uh, find the Cinema Catch-Up Club on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club and you will find us there. Make sure you like. Uh, episodes are posted there each week and also to subscribe to our podcast streams on iTunes and SoundCloud or whatever podcasting catching app that you choose to use. Uh, as I'm sitting inside the Nexus Theatre, I should probably say that uh, if you're listening to this episode within the first two days of this being released, then you can still buy tickets for our first live podcast recording. We are going to be reviewing The Princess Bride Woo! on this very stage. <laughs> uh, that The, the uh, date for that is the 15th of September. Uh, the event starts at 6pm here at the Nexus Theatre in Western Australia. If you don't live in Western Australia, we might just have something for you. So uh, keep an eye on that Facebook page uh, because... We might have a special something for those of you who uh, don't live in the world's most isolated city. But for those of you in Perth, you have no excuse. Come down here uh, and have a good time. Uh, But that is all. So until next time, bye-bye. You can say bye too, guys. Oh, Oh, okay, we can. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.